The story of the feeding of the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and all they had taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. I want for a few moments this morning to preach what I call my alphabet message, based on the story of the feeding of the 5,000. The alphabet message, because there are 26 letters in the alphabet, and I've got 26 points to give you this morning. And I look out in this congregation, and some are gasping with horror. How could you inflict upon us, pastor, 26 points in a Sunday message. Some are saying, is he really serious? Others are saying, bring it on. We're here for the rest of the day. We're in no rush to get home. Actually, I call it the alphabet message because I've got the A, B, C, D. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Because as I look through the The story, it's a very well-known story. In fact, one young man in this church already came to me in the fellowship time in the middle, and he will remain nameless, but he's wearing a lovely coat this morning, and he's sitting next to Tim on the front row, and Brother David said, we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000 today. I said, that's right, David. He said, I've heard that story preached 5,000 times. I says, have you, David? And then, with his dry wit and razor-sharp sense of humor, he said, I hope we get new revelation today. (laughs) Fresh revelation today. David, I hope so too, or you'll be preaching next Sunday, Mark chapter 7. Just also let me say that next Sunday we'll build in some time just before we go to Mark 7 give you a week's advance notice if God, as you read Mark 7 in advance of coming, if you get something you want to share, because I said I would open it up from time to time, then next Sunday we will do that. But for time today, I want to go right into the message. A, B, C, D of the feeding of the 5,000. Number one, A stands for action. 
understand with me this morning that the 12 disciples have just been sent out by Jesus. Let's go back a few verses to Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. You've got it, Lindsay. Throw it up on the screen, please. Calling the 12 to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. And they went out. So Jesus had just sent the disciples out to do the work of the kingdom. And the Bible says they preached that, verse 12, that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. An incredible spiritual action took place. Now the disciples are coming back to be with Jesus. And they're so excited because they want to report back. The Bible says all that they had done and taught. That's what verse 30 says. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Imagine if we'd been there that day. Oh, the testimonies. Man, I can imagine Peter saying, and Jesus, we went out and we anointed the, the sick with oil. And you know what? They got healed. And then Andrew saying, yeah, and I spoke to this one and he committed his life to Christ. And you can imagine the excitement that was gathered and generated as they simply went out and did what Jesus asked them to do. It was all go. In fact, verse 31 says, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have time to get a meal or to get something to eat. It was so action-packed. And Jesus, I imagine, was sitting there listening, thrilled, knowing that these were his disciples, his mentees, the ones that he had handpicked and chosen, a motley group of young men, and thrilled with the reports that were coming back. And then we come to the second part of the message this morning, because if A stands for action, then B must stand for balance, because I can imagine that as Jesus heard the cacophony of noise, the incredible reports that were coming to him, he understood that, hey, even in the midst of spiritual, frenetic spiritual activity, even, even the, the greatest church, whatever that church may be in Great Britain this morning, the biggest church, the most blessed church, the one with the, 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 the greatest influence spiritually into the lives of people and communities, doesn't matter how much is happening. At the end of the day, we are human beings and not just human doings. And there's times that in the midst of all the activity, even kingdom activity, that we need to take a step back. And Jesus was the master at this, as we will see. And he said to the disciples here, because so many people were coming and going, didn't have time to eat, he said, come with me by yourselves, verse 31, to a quiet place, and let's get some rest. So they went away by boat, the Bible tells us, to a solitary place. There isn't one of us in church this morning that doesn't need to hear and apply the words of Jesus here. Balance is vital. There are times when, as human beings, we need seasons of rest as well as seasons of 
activity. There are times that we need to model our Lord and Savior who was wonderful and remarkable at separating himself from the crowd, sometimes early morning, others at the end of a busy day of life and ministry, of separating himself from the crowd, the demands of the people. Wherever Jesus went, the crowds followed. Man alive, he got no peace. When Jesus was in town, the, the word on, the, on, the, on the, the rumor mill was that the king is here, and crowds just gravitated and gathered. But Jesus was the master at separating himself because he knew that he needed time with his father. Vince Havner once said, if you don't come apart and rest, you will come apart. And I can imagine that Jesus was chuckling to himself as he watched and heard the reports of the excited disciples, but realizing that they were perhaps in danger of burning themselves out too quickly, of living on an adrenaline high, of going from one spiritual ministry high to the next. And so Jesus, the one the Bible says, grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Luke 2.52, the master of balance, was trying to apply balance into the lives of his young disciples. At one time many years ago, thank God not now, but one time many years ago, I remember joking to someone and said that M6 is my best friend at the moment. That's a scary, that's a scare. It was out of my mouth before I realized what I said. And then when I analyzed it and unpacked it, this is going back maybe 10 years ago, and I was too busy. I, had too many, I was spinning too many plates. The kids were much younger then. I was doing too much. The M6, your best friend, that's because of the continual journeys, up and down, up and down, up and down, balancing all this stuff. It's crazy. Every single one of us, and some of us are high-capacity people. Some of us don't have the capacity to spin the same amount of plates. It's not about whether you're a high-capacity person, a medium-capacity person, or a lower-capacity person. It's about functioning and living in such a way that you know in yourself that you have things in balance. And Jesus here was trying, I believe, to show, model, example, and also teach the disciples. Balance, guys, is required. Come apart. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Time after time, we read about Jesus separating himself from the crowds and getting those times of intimacy with his Father God in heaven. If Jesus needed that, how much more do you and I? So if A stands for action and B stands for balance, what does C stand for as we go through the story here of Mark chapter 6? Well, what does the Bible say? So they went away by themselves, verse 32, in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of Jesus. The problem was that people were always second-guessing Jesus. They just wanted to be where he was. And so as Jesus and the disciples were in the boat on the Lake of Galilee, thousands of people were doing the detour by land around the island, around the lake, to where Jesus would land. So when Jesus and the disciples finally got to the seashore, guess what? The crowds were already there. Now that sounds all great and good. <laughs> until you see the reaction of the disciples here. Well, let's look at the reaction of Jesus first. When Jesus landed, verse 34, and he saw a large crowd, and I just love this, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep 
without a shepherd. And then the disciples came as Jesus began to minister, as he began to teach. That's what the Bible says. As he began to minister and teach, as compassion was flowing in a practical, relevant, real way, pouring himself into the lives of the vast crowd, the disciples got in on the action. And they said, Jesus, by this time, it's probably late afternoon, it's late in the day. Bible commentaries say probably late afternoon. Jesus, it's getting rather late. Jesus, we're in a remote location. Jesus, we need to send the people away, verse 36, so they can go to the surrounding villages nearby and buy themselves something to eat. Now, hear me. Stay with me in this one because this blows my mind. Here's the disciples who a short time ago had been sent out to do the work of the kingdom. That's what we read at the beginning of the passage Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. Go, don't take a tunic with you, a bag. Go and preach the good news of the kingdom. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And the disciples were up for it. Now they come back at the end of a long, busy day. And the reality is they can't be bothered with the crowds. The very ones who'd been sent by Jesus to compassionately serve and minister to the vast crowds were the very same ones now wanting to send them away. Because they had not learned to look at life and people through the eyes of their master, Jesus. Because friends, that's what compassion is all about. If A is action and B is balance, C is compassion. Jesus saw the crowds like sheep without a shepherd. The disciples saw the crowds as a bother, an annoyance, an irritation, a frustration. Let's just send them away. Let them go and buy some food. The dictionary definition of the word compassion means sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Can I give you my definition of compassion this morning? You won't find it in the Webster's Dictionary or the Collins Dictionary but in the Whitburn Andrew Smith Dictionary you will find this. Compassion is all about doing life through Jesus' eyes. Compassion is about doing life through the eyes of Jesus, seeing people as Jesus sees them, touching people as Jesus touches them, feeling and empathizing with people as Jesus feels and empathizes. To the disciples, the crowds were a nuisance or a bother. But to Jesus, they were precious and, and they were special. Stories told of D.L. Moody, famous preacher of a previous generation. When he was building his great Sunday school in Chicago, the children came from everywhere. So much so that they would bypass other churches, churches that were closer to their location. They would go past Sunday schools that were nearer to where they lived to be with where D.L. Moody was. And when asked why one little boy walked so far one Sunday to go to Sunday school, one little boy said, because, and as he looked, as he looked at the vast crowds of kids gathering in the Sunday school that day, he said, because they love a fella over there. And his name is D.L. Moody. There was something of the love and grace and compassion 
of Jesus flowing through D.L. Moody that little boys and little girls understood and knew that he had such a great care and concern for them. Church, hear me this morning to go to the next level. That's the spiritual buzzword these days, the next level. Let me try and break that down. To go to where God wants us to go. To reach more people in the name of Jesus. To put down deeper roots and stronger foundations in the things of God. We have got to, first of all, love and have compassion for each other as the body of Christ. If we don't have love and compassion for one another, how are we going to love those that are not yet part of his family? It's going very quiet just now. Come on, church. Compassion, care, concern. Stories told also. A man called Dwight Morrow once held a dinner party to which Calvin Coolidge, who became president of the USA, this is before he was president, to which Calvin Coolidge had been invited. After Coolidge left the dinner party, Dwight Morrow told the guests that that man would make a great president one day. Everyone had their own opinions. Some said, nah. He'll never make it. He's too quiet. He's not charismatic enough. He lacked personality and so on and so on. Nobody would be drawn to him. The president of the USA is one, if not the most powerful man in, in, the, in the earth. Come on, that, that guy. And suddenly a little six-year-old girl spoke up amidst all the noise and the criticism. And she said, I like him. And the place was hushed as this little voice spoke up and she lifted her finger wrapped in a, in a big bandage and said, he was the only one at the party tonight who took the time to ask me about my sore finger. And that is why he would make a great president, said her 45-year-old father who jumped up and endorsed what the words of the little girl was saying. Because even though he might be the greatest man on planet Earth in a few months' time, if he is elected, he took the time. He had compassion. He had care in the midst of a busy evening where many dignitaries were present. To take the time to empathize and be compassionate to a six-year-old little girl. Suffer the little children to come unto me, Jesus, Jesus said. Oh, he cared enough to ask compassion. I could spend the whole morning just talking about compassion alone. Seeing through the eyes of Jesus. But I want to get to D because that's the heart of what I want to say today, if A is action and B is balance and C is compassion, then D is demonstration, a demonstration of the power of God through the Spirit of God because a miracle took place. Oh yes, friends, 5,000 men, 20,000 people on that Galilean shoreline that day were wonderfully fed because a little boy came with his packed lunch. In fact, there's two miracles in this story I often say because, hey, come on. A little boy with a packed lunch actually made it from morning to late afternoon. When I was in primary school, every time I preached from the feeding of the 5,000, this story comes uh, strongly to my mind. When I was in primary school, I was... In 1970, I was six. This is before decimalization. Who remembers the old sixpenny pieces? Silver in color. Who remembers the threepenny pieces? Yellow, bronzy, depending how, how clean they are. I remember getting my mid-morning snack from my mum. Golden Wonder Crisps, bottle of lemonade, 
Off I went, 8.30, 8.35, 800-yard walk from the house in the village of Invalaki to the primary school. Before I got out of the gate, the crisps were open, absolutely. Not just the crisps were open, the juice was drunk. So we went to school. The bell uh, always rang at 10.45. We had 15 minutes of playtime. don't know what you call it now, but it was playtime for us. I'm in the playground playing football with my mates. Then I got hungry. There's five minutes left. I've got no crisps. I've got no juice because I've eaten it all. And then I spied my older brother, John. He is three years older than me. I was in P3. He was in P6. And I would go to where the big boys were, the P6s and the P7s, and push my way through the crowd and come to John and say, got any thruppany pieces in your pocket, John? And miracle of miracles, he always did. And he would give me a thruppany piece. And 100 yards away was a little corner village shop. It's gone now. When I go up and visit, I pass it on the way to the golf course. And it's now a beautiful house. And I remember, man, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe not a Thursday, but always a Friday. I'm there at 5 minutes to 11 with a thruppany piece that I have begged, stealed, or borrowed from my older brother to get more snacks to replenish my internal being. Why am I telling you all that? Why am I telling you all that? (laughs) Oh, dear. D, a demonstration of God's power. Jesus said, verse 37, stay with me this morning, folks. You give them something to eat. This verse challenges me and rocks me to the core of my foundation every time I read it. When faced with a problem, Jesus said, be the solution, guys. If I had more time this morning, and I don't, I could preach a whole message on why going around churches in the last 10 years and Assemblies of God in Scotland, and this church also, it's so easy at times to see what isn't being done and what can be done better. Instead of just, hi- instead of just highlighting what isn't being done or what could be done better, why don't we thank God for what is being done and be part of the solution and not just identify the problem? Are you with me this morning? And I go to some churches and I think, present company excluded, of course. I go to some churches and think, man alive, you're doing some remark. I've got some churches, 25 people. And they're punching above their weight spiritually in some of the efforts and some of the community initiatives. I think this is remarkable. But you talk to them at the coffee break after the morning service. It's all about what's not being done. And this isn't right. And that isn't right. And I feel like slapping them. I feel like having the ministry of encouragement by by the right hand of fellowship around the, the ear hole. And saying, oh, waking up, it's incredible what is going on here. 25 people in a, in a town of 20,000 may not seem much, but when you place the little that you have in God's hands, and that's what we're coming to in the last 10 minutes, and this is the heart of the message this morning. And Steve Giorgio, who didn't know I was preaching on this before I came into church this morning, mentioned it earlier in, in the worship time. When we place the little that we have in the hands of Jesus, He can multiply it. He blessed, He broke, 
and he distributed the five small loaves and the two small fish, and 20,000 people were fed. Sometimes I go into churches and think, waking up, guys, you're doing an incredible job. Let's not just focus on what's not happening. Let's take time to celebrate what is happening. They still didn't get what Jesus was saying. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now Jesus takes control of the situation. Aren't you glad when Jesus takes control of the situations of our lives? This is what happened here. Jesus, who was testing them, I believe. Go, go guys, you feed them. There's a need here. Now Jesus takes control. This story is told in all four Gospels. In John's account, chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says that Andrew found a young anonymous lad in the crowd with his packed lunch. Five small barley loaves and two small fish. The food was for the poorest of the poor. Barley loaves were the cheapest and coarsest of all the loaves of bread in those days. But placed willingly, here's the key, placed willingly and gladly in the hands of Jesus. This little boy gave everything that he had. Hey, if that had been me that day, Jesus would not have had five loaves and two fish to perform a miracle. He would have had to go to someone else because I would have had it eaten. But this little boy had his lunch there and he gave it. And then an incredible miracle demonstration of the power of God took place. Verse 39, Jesus said, sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. In a scene reminiscent of Psalm 23, verse 2, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. As they're sitting on the green grass. Why does Mark say the green grass? Other translations don't say. Other uh, gospels, Mark says, on the green grass, in groups of 150, Jesus takes this pathetic little lunch offering in the natural. That's what it was. A few loaves, cheapest of the cheap, two tiny fish, and he blesses. He looks towards heaven. He comes to Father God. He thanks him for the the gift, the offering given by the little boy. He blesses the offering. He breaks the bread. He breaks the fish. And then the distribution begins to start. Now, guys, now to the disciples. Now you go now and feed this people. And that's when the miracle kicked in. As they began to feed 20,000 people, from five loaves and two fishes. You do the maths with me this morning. Hey, by the time they got round the first group of 50, let alone the first group of 100, they would have run out of food. But as they stepped out in faith, obeying what Jesus asked them to do, as Jesus blessed, broke, it began to be distributed, and they kept on feeding and feeding and feeding the group. In fact, the Bible says they all ate and were satisfied. That's the evidence of the miracle. In John's account, after they had eaten, the Bible says that Jesus ordered the disciples to gather the pieces that were left over. Let nothing be wasted. Now, we need to understand something here. In Judaism, food is sacred. 
It is the gift of God. It is an insult to God in the eyes of the Judaism to waste the crumbs of food. So Jesus instructs the disciples to search this vast area of land, acres of land, to pick up the leftovers. The Bible says in verse 43 that the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The Greek word I am told for basket here is kofinos. It speaks of a small lunch, pale-sized basket. Unlike the story two chapters later in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus did a similar thing and he fed 4,000 men plus women and children, this time with seven barley loaves, two separate occasions. In Mark's account of the feeding of the 4,000, the word for the basket there of scraps left over was, is spirus, which means a large man-sized basket. Now, stay with me for a minute because here... Kofinos, the small, pale-sized basket, ideal for like a lunchbox, was a perfect miracle of God's provision. Not just the feeding of the 5,000 or the 20,000 people who were there, but as the disciples picked up, ordered to by Jesus, the scraps of bread and fish left behind, 12 Baskets were left over. Twelve coffinosses. Twelve small lunch, pale-sized baskets. Ideal for snack, lunch, tomorrow for every one of the disciples. Because I believe here that this was a fulfillment of Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer, to give us today our daily bread. And I believe that Jesus was trying to teach not just the vast crowds, but the disciples here, that guys, you stay with me. Guys, you walk with me. Guys, you stay tuned to me. Guys, you do life with me, and I'll meet all of your needs. I will provide all of your needs. He was trying to show the disciples, not just in the big miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 but to the 12 disciples who were doing life with them on a daily basis, walk with me, run with me, stay close to me, and I promise I will never let you down. I'll meet your every, every need. Almost done this morning. There's a bigger picture in all of this. I think that Jesus was trying to show and teach the disciples that he was the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. He who believes in me will Never be thirsty. The reality is the five loaves and the two fish were not so much about giving to the crowd of 5,000 plus people. It was all about little as much when God is in it. It's all about taking what we have. The reality is this morning, even the most gifted, creative one in this place, whoever he or she is, is definitely not me. We haven't got much to give. But when we make it available, all on the altar for Jesus, we say, God, I may not have much, I may not be much, but everything that I have, everything that I am is yours, God. That's when the miracle begins to kick in. And God blesses. Sometimes God has to 
every time God has to break us first. He blesses, and then the distribution process happened. The miraculous begins to kick in. Let me close with one final illustration about putting the little we have in the hands of God. Because when we do, there is no telling what God can do. Let me tell you the story of the crippled cobbler. His name is John Pounds. He was a young man born in the 19th century in Portsmouth. He labored at the docks. One day he fell from the top of the ship's rigging onto the deck and his body was mangled. For two years he was confined to bed. His bones began to knit together in a misshapen mess. Out of boredom, he began to read the Bible. After two years, he crawled out of bed and began looking for work, and he found work as a cobbler. Hence, he became known as the crippled cobbler. And every day, he sat at his bench, day after day, making and mending shoes. It wasn't glamorous. Making and mending shoes. No one around, on his own, making and mending shoes. But his Bible was open. And day after day, he read more and more of the Word of God. And he never went to church at that point, but God spoke to him through the reading of his Word. And he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ and got soundly saved. And life began to improve. He began to save his wages. And he bought a little shoe shop in 1803 in Portsmouth. And then he had a nephew called Johnny who had a bad leg, and he tried to design a special pair of shoes for his nephew, what we know now as surgical boots. And as, as his fame, wrong word, but you know what I'm trying to say this morning, the reality of what he was doing in that little shoe shop, the news of it began to travel, people began to gravitate to him, and kids with physical handicaps flocked to his tiny shop, and it almost became not so much a cobbler shop, but a miniature kid's hospital. And as the kids came in day after day, he just began teaching them the things of the Word of God. The workshop became known as a ragged school. Ragged schools took off many years ago in this country, endorsed by the government. By, 19, by 1867, 28 years after John Pounds died, 226 ragged schools were established all over the UK, some in Edinburgh, Aberdeen, Dundee, and Glasgow. 204 day schools and 207 evening schools, touching 26,000 kids, teenagers, and young people, the vast majority having physical disability, all because of one crippled cobbler who decided one day that the little that he had he would give to Jesus. And the rest is history. Bow your heads with me this morning. Time's gone. Time is gone this morning. In these last few moments, all I want to do before we sing a final song and take our morning offering up is give the opportunity for something of the Spirit of God to take the Word of God this morning and really apply it, to drill it home into all of our hearts and lives. Little is much if God is in it. When we give everything we have over to Him, it's unbelievable what he can do. Maybe you're in church this morning and 
never even given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You're sitting in this place and you're watching people get excited about singing songs to Jesus. You're hearing a preacher talk about little as much of God is in it and all of this sort of thing. And you're thinking, I just want to get right with God. I just want to know this God that you're talking about is my personal Lord and Savior. I need Jesus Christ in my heart. I need to know that my sins are forgiven. I need a a brand new start. I, I need, I need God so very much. If that's you this morning, well, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If that's you and you're saying, I need God in my life, open up your heart right now. Raise your hand so I can see you, so I can pray for you so people can talk with you at the end of this service. If there's anyone in church this morning, you've never committed your life to Christ, but this morning you say, I need God. I desperately, desperately need Him. Raise your hand now in these next few seconds. Or maybe it is this morning that it is a church full of Christians. Father, I'm praying now that Everyone within the sound of my voice that has heard this message today, that God, there'll come a greater revelation and understanding that it's not what we do, it's what you do through us that really makes the difference. And when we come like the little boy with the packed lunch of loaves and fishes and we gladly, willingly give it to you and you look towards heaven and you bless it, you break it, and you distribute it, and the miraculous and the supernatural kicks in. Father, I pray that, God, for everyone in church this morning, that we will understand beyond any shadow of a doubt that little is much when God is in it, and we want to give you our little this morning. And so if you're in this place and you've been challenged by anything this preacher has said about giving more and more to God, about giving him your time, your availability, your energy, your giftings, your finance, your very being, you're saying it may not amount to much in the natural. People may even laugh if they looked at what really can I give, but God looks beyond all of that and he sees the heart and he sees congregation full of young boys and girls this morning with packed lunches of five loaves and two fishes and he's saying give it to me give it to me give it to me if that's you stand now in the presence of God to say I'm giving you everything God this week ahead help me to live for you and serve you like never before I'm giving you my everything that's you this morning stand now in the presence of God then I'm going to pray and then we are going to worship a little bit and take up our morning offering little as much when God is in it Jesus 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 Father for those that are standing on their feet right now I simply pray that today and this week ahead whatever They are surrendering and putting on the altar for God today that you will bring them back to this point, even in the next few days of understanding and knowing this was the moment, the defining moment, when they gave everything they had back to you. When they said, Lord, I may not have all that much to give, but gladly and willingly I give it to you this morning. Now, God, I pray that you will bless them I pray, Lord, that you will break things in different circumstances, and I pray that you will distribute, Father, 
your blessing, your favor, your love, your grace, your goodness through them to touch many more lives for Jesus in the days ahead. God, hear our cry this morning. Because there's something, Lord, there is something within us today that longs for more of the supernatural, miraculous breakthrough of our God in the ordinary, everyday things of our lives. There are situations that only you can overturn. And Father, I believe that when we're like the little boy that just gives it to you in simple faith, trust and obedience, then the miraculous can break out and break forth. Too often, Lord, we we wait for the importing in of the the big preacher, the big speaker, when you want to just flow through your people naturally, supernaturally, every day of the week. God, over this house and over this congregation, let the miraculous provision, wonder, grace, and touch of God happen in increasing measure in the days to come for Jesus' sake. And if anyone agreed with me this morning, Let me hear the biggest amen I've heard in years in this house. Come on. Amen. We believe it, Lord. We want it. More and more and more of the breakthrough, of the provision, of the goodness of our God. Help us to leave what we have in your hands. Come on, stand with me. As Steve and the band lead us in a final song as we give to God our morning offering as part of our worship.